Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life business and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session, also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoach10amsly.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our third episode of season seven, a very special guest and author, Sandy Scarlata. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it out to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Sandy, the floor is yours. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Yeah, so I'm Sandy Scarlata. I am a happiness and mindset coach. My journey has spanned over 30 years of my life when I uh, hit rock bottom with drug abuse. And I can I can go into that backstory in a little bit, but uh, I'm also a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. Um, my book, Happiness Solved, Climbing 100 Steps, is my second book. My first book was a novel that I wrote for teenagers, and it was a two-time award-winning novel. And it was supposed to be a series of five, and my publisher went out of business. So I'm planning on combining the second book, which has never been published, but was finished in 2010. And I'm going to complete it because it's something that's left unfinished. So I'm hoping to have that out sometime in the next year. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm very busy. I, I love what I do. I also work with elite, elite athletes since I am a retired um, skating coach. And uh, some of the folks that I'm working with, I have two dance teams. One got 10th place at US Nationals and the other one got fourth place at US Nationals and they were alternates for the Olympics, but didn't get get to go to the Olympics, sadly. But I'm still really proud and thrilled to be able to help young athletes with their mindset because you don't wanna wait till there's a severe problem to, to start working on that. Yes, so that's that's my bio in a nutshell. And uh, <laughs> so let, let's get into um, the you said about drug addiction. So tell me more mm-hmm. about what started it and how did you go through this journey and get out of drugs? OK, so my book is part memoir, part self-improvement and a part book workbook. So the mini memoir in in it is the climbing 100 steps. And that's kind of a metaphor because when I was 12 years old, we lived outside of Annapolis, Maryland on the Severn River. And there was a hundred steps that led from the river dock up to the house. And probably because I was an athlete, every time I climbed those steps, it was kind of like I could hear the Rocky music in the background, you know, da da da. And I'd be climbing those steps. And it was just, I just loved it. It was always my happy place. And One day I was called home early. I'd been staying with a friend for the weekend when my parents were out of town. I was 12 years old and I was brought home by boat because it was faster than a car ride. And she, me and my girlfriend were climbing the hundred steps and we're laughing and having a good time. And we get to the top of the stairs and my father greeted us at the door and told me that my older brother, who is 19 years old and serving in the U.S. Army in Germany, um, was tragically, tragically died. And so my whole life just came crumbling down. Um, My mom, you know, she was always there, but she went into a very deep depression. It it wasn't until my son was born that I kind of had a little bit of an inkling of what that must have been like for her. 
And, um, you know, it's not something that I've ever held against her by any means, but it was still part of the pain that I experienced as a young, young adult. And so I never dealt with the grief of my brother. And as a matter of fact, I made up a couple of stories about it. On the day of the funeral, we were raised Catholic and we had to walk up to the casket and pay our last respects. And I, I obeyed my mother and went up there and she looked at my brother and she said, he doesn't look real. He looks like a mannequin. So I made up this story as a 12 year old little girl. I had actually just turned 13 and he died two weeks before my 13th birthday. So I made up a story that he wasn't really dead. And like, sometimes it was like he was in the witness protection program or he was a spy. And if, if he made contact with us, you know, our lives would be in danger. So it was the only thing that made sense to me because I couldn't deal with the reality that he was gone. Mm -hmm. wow. um, you still there? Uh, made up was because I was so happy that something horrible would happen. It, it's, it sounds crazy, but as a little girl, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where my mind went. So in my early twenties, I was working in Washington, DC. I had my own apartment. Life was going really well. I was a real go-getter. I, I never went to college right out of high school because I made it into the ice capades. And that was all I ever considered doing was traveling with the, an ice show. And two weeks after I graduated from high school, they told me that I would be put on a waiting list. And I was like, well, maybe I should go to college. It was just something I'd never even considered. So I, I went to school for one semester at a fashion institute, was introduced to cocaine multiple times. I was like, no way, I'm not touching this. So I ended up dropping out of that school. It wasn't what I wanted. Moved into to DC in my own apartment. I was 19 years old, real go-getter, had a great job, was making really good money as a legal secretary. And um, I was with some coworkers and they pulled out some cocaine and I had a weak moment and I, and I tried it and the rest is, was downhill from there. And you know, this was in the late eighties, early nineties, not that that's an excuse, but that's yeah. kind of like everybody was doing it. And um, so, you know, like anybody who continues to use drugs on a regular basis, you eventually hit rock bottom and I was no different. And so I ended up, going into a six month outpatient re recovery program. My, I was engaged to my fiance, he's now my ex-husband, <laughs> but um, he wanted me to go into inpatient and I was like, no way. So I just did a six month outpatient program, gave up all alcohol, drugs, everything, and haven't touched drugs in over 30 years. But what that did for me was it put me on a path that I have been on learning how to live my life every day trying to get back to the place I felt when I was 12 years old, climbing the 100 steps. And everything I talk about in the book is how I live my life every single day. And it just, it taught me so many things about how needing to trust, trust that everything is going to work out because it always does. You know, witnessing a miracle for the first time in front of me, because I didn't really trust God's will for me, that kind of thing, or whatever your higher power is. I, I choose to call mine God. So, you know, I didn't trust that. And, and the day that I saw a miracle unfold in front of me was just like mind boggling. And, and I realized that there's little miracles happening around us all the time. And if we open our eyes to seeing them, you really are able to trust that things are going to work out because they always do. So it was, it was an, it wasn't that hard to stop using drugs because I didn't want to lose the relationship with, with my fiance at the time. And, and 
And at first, I have to admit, I was doing it for him and our relationship. I wasn't doing it for me because I didn't understand what self-love meant at that time. It took many years of therapy to really grasp that, you know, loving yourself and everything that goes into self-love. And so, yeah. So that's kind of, (laughs) that's how I got, that's, that's how I got to where I am today. And, And back to the book. So I started working on this book in 2014. I actually went back to college. I finished my bachelor's degree. It, was, it just became a personal um, accomplishment that I wanted to achieve. And I also, for professional reasons, it, you know, I wanted to have that degree under my belt. So it started out as a project for a business class. And I started, I wrote the first chapter and put it aside. Life got busy. And I think it was when I was taking my son to college in August of 2019. And he was away. And, you know, I don't know if you have children, but anybody who has children, you know that they take up a lot of space in your head, you know, (laughs) because you're you're always on. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, once I dropped him off at college, it was as if the floodgates just opened up and I was just working on this book nonstop. And it just became something that I felt like I had to get out. I was so disgusted with humanity back in late 2019. And I even write in my book that we have to change as a society because if we keep having all of this anger, it's going to spread yes. like a virus like we've never seen before. Okay. And it's almost kind of weird because I finished the book in January 2020 before the pandemic hit, before we knew about it. And it was like, whoa, you know. Um, yeah, so I just felt like I had to get it, it the, my message out there because we can do better as a society there's so many miserable, horrible people in the world that are just out to get one another. And we have to change. We have to change that as a society because it's not sustainable the way things are and the way that people are attacking other people and spreading lies and false false facts and false media, just everything all combined. We can't sustain as a society if things keep going like this. It's just going to keep getting worse. So how, I mean, you were mentioning about uh, miracles that you've seen that was mind boggling. What, what miracle have you experienced that changed your mindset and that made you appreciate the day by day to be able to, to bring you to where you are today, uh, Sandy? So it was one day um, I was driving home. I had recently quit smoking cigarettes. And I was really just like, I wanted a cigarette so badly. I stopped at a red light. I looked to, I can't remember which side, but I'll just, doesn't matter. Look to, look to my left. And I saw this beautiful young woman in a convertible. The top was down. The sun was shining off of her hair. You know, it was a warm day and all of that. I looked to my right and there was this beat up car with this old woman all wrinkled face. And she's sitting there holding a cigarette with her hand shaking. And she took a hit off of that cigarette. And and I'm looking at that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, as if on cue on my radio, a Tom Petty song started to play. The song was, well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. I'm going to stand my ground, you know, da, 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 da. And it was just like, tears just started rolling. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, this was the universe, God, whoever you want to say it, that was, that was their way of supporting me. Like, just trust, 
you can do this. And from that point on, I started noticing little things like that. There are no coincidences in life. I mean, I, I believe that there are no coincidences. Everything happens for a reason. And that just opened my eyes up like, wow, you know, wow. And uh, that's a big wow for sure. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So um, when you said that in your book, uh, if we go back to uh, what you wrote about uh, society has to change. So the thing is, is that obviously we have to start changing from within before changing yes. from self. But if are yep. their mindset are so toxic, so, you know, like polluted with negative thoughts, how can you go in and suggest ways for people to start looking at themselves and realize that they're filled with evil? in which some of them are. So it's kind of like you, you set yourself a goal to be able to change society, but society doesn't want to change. Society right. stick the way they are and they find it more and more they see people to compete with and more and more they're going to start putting stick in their wheels. And that is a kind of like a repeated behavior that doesn't seem to stop. So what do you suggest for society to change? Well, it, you're right. It has to happen one person at a time. And, you know, you know, for me, I just keep putting out messages and messages and, you know, hopefully one person at a time, people will, will look at what I'm saying or hear what I'm saying or what I'm putting out on social media and realize that, you know, changes within them and there is a better way to live. And it really comes down to shifting your perspective, as you know, Yes. you know, when you're walking around with blinders on like this, that's all you're going to see. You've got that tunnel vision. You're not going to see all the other possibilities out there. Right. For me, one of my superpowers is I am always able to see everything from multiple perspectives. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a problem at times because I'm like, oh yeah, especially when there's, when it's coming to, you know, uh, you know, voting for president or whatever. I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. Oh, but I like that too. I like that, you know, and I'm able to, you know, like, like hear both things. And I'm like, yeah. So a lot of time, you know, I have conversations with people and people reach out to me on Facebook and, and when people reach out to me and they direct message me and they're having an issue, you know, I've had a conversation with, with one individual, it's been going on for two weeks now. And I spend like 30, 45 seconds a day and I'll answer his question. And I'm more than happy to do that, but you know what? One person at a time. And he's starting to shift his perspective. And he was like, I never even realized that I needed to, that I could see things in a different way. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but what and was, what they it's education. <clears throat> yes, I agree. But what was their common in terms of them to, to perceive things differently or changing their mindset? Were they like looking at life negatively? And, and this is the reason they, they wanted to be able to see things more positive. I mean, a lot of things. Well, it was a, it was a relationship situation. Okay. He was having a, an issue with, with a relationship that he's in. And, and I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to give any details, of course not. <laughs> but, but it was just, I was able to just mention a few things, ask a couple of questions. And from, I think from a woman's perspective, I was able to give a different perspective that he wasn't even realizing okay. and it just helped him to make that shift. Um, so, you know, it, it's one person at a time, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's so many of us like you and me that are out there and we're, we're, we're flooding the airways with this message and eventually people are going to hopefully open their eyes up. So how, okay. That's, that's one, this is the million dollar question there, Sandy. Um, a lot of people do not know how to define what happiness means to them. 
okay? Mm -hmm. And of course, this is not, there's no one universal answer because happiness can depend, depending on the situation that you're in, if someone is ill or someone's going through cancer treatment, their happiness is to heal from cancer. While others, oh no, I wanna be as rich as Jeff Bezos. I wanna be able to have with the white picket fence. I'd like to be able to have this. And it's a lot of materialistic stuff. So um, in your book, you, you, you do mention the, in the title, it says the word happiness. What are the steps to be able to achieve happiness? For you, that is based on your interpretation. So for me, it comes down to multiple things. Recognizing in every situation, is there someone I need to forgive or do I need to forgive myself? Forgiveness is huge. It's a huge component because I really believe that if you're feeling anything than peace in your heart, there's someone or something that you need to forgive. And forgiveness is something that you have to practice. Happiness is something that you have to practice. Happiness is a choice, just like forgiveness is a choice. Also expressing gratitude. If you start your day and throughout the day and before you go to bed at night, list everything that you have to be grateful for, your energy is going to raise up and you you will shift to a better place. Um, So it's forgiveness, it's gratitude, it's trust, trusting that everything is going to work out because it always does. So often, so many people are so stressed and consumed with the what ifs. Mm -hmm. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, you can't, if you can control it, then you don't need to worry about it because you have control over it. If you can't control it, then there's nothing to worry about because you have no control over it. I work with my son all the time on this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's 21 years old now and he, you know, gets a little dramatic at times, (laughs) but I keep working on the whole trust thing. We, I'll share with you a recent story. He was driving back to college. I live in Northern Virginia. He goes to school at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and it's about a nine hour drive. Well, he got delayed uh, driving back to school and he was really, really tired. Well, he had lost his, his debit card. I gave him cash to pay for a hotel room just in case. Well, he, he was in the middle of West Virginia, not very developed area. They didn't accept Apple Pay, so he had to use his cash to pay for, for gas. So he walks into a Best Western and said, excuse me, you know, can I get a room and, and can you talk to my mom on the phone and she'll give you a credit card? And they're like, absolutely not. Well, he calls me just in a tizzy. He's like, I can't drive anymore. I have to. And I'm like, let's calm down. We did some deep breathing exercises. I'm like, you just have to trust that everything is going to work out. So I said, keep me on the phone. He went to the next place. It was in Hampton Inn or something. And I said, when you walk up to the woman, you say to her, I'm driving back to college. I'm really exhausted. I need a hotel room. I lost my debit card. I have my mom on the phone. Can she give you a credit card? He said that to her and she, and he was calm right? He wasn't irritated or anything like that. He was nice and calm. And she just said, of course we can do that. I got on the phone with her, gave her the credit card. He spent the night. And here's the thing. Hotels aren't allowed to do that. (laughs) That's against the rules. You're not allowed to just have somebody give you, you have to show a credit card with your driver's license. That's correct. Yes. But I just believe because he was just in a calmer state, he approached it very kindly. we were lucky to get a good person who had a big heart that said, yes, I'm going to help you. And he just said, ma'am, you've saved my life. Thank you. And it was just like, thank you so much. 
I gave them a rave review on Yelp. I'm like, oh, you saved my son's life. Thank you. But, but I, and then we had a conversation afterwards and I said, are you seeing how when you just trust and you stop resisting, when we're resisting, you're bringing that resistance back into your life tenfold. If you allow things to flow, things will come back to you tenfold in that flowing state. And he was like, yeah, you know, so I've noticed since that happened, he doesn't call me too often with some, you know. Dramatic thing, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So is it, do you talk anything about the laws of attraction in your book as well, uh, Sandy? About the- I don't touch on it, only just a little bit, just very little because I kind of want, that's that's like a whole book. Yes. And I, I wanted this to be short and sweet. I wanted it to be something that people could pick up and read in three hours. Okay. I've read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of self-read self-help books. And if they're more than 300 pages, I don't finish them. It's too much. I think it, I think that things need to be condensed. We don't have the attention span. So I was like, you know, that that's my next book is because I can talk about the law of attraction. I've I actually started teaching courses. Um, back in 2001, 2002, 2003. And I didn't even know it was called the law of attraction. Oh. I had never heard of the law of attraction. It just made sense to me. And it was the way that I lived my life. And then the secret came out and I was like, what's this? The law of attraction. And I started researching. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been talking about this for years. And I had no idea it was even a thing. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the thing is that in the, in the book of secret, uh, Rhonda Byrne, uh, the author didn't really focus too much on the what's going on in between the thoughts become yes. things. So she expect like people to say, okay, I'm going to think about something like a Lamborghini being in my garage. I'm going to go down and ups the Lamborghini is not there, so it must be erroneous laws. So, but then yeah. don't put the action and belief behind it, which actually you were talking about it just a few minutes ago. Then it will not happen. So again, people have this misconception about what yes. success means and what it takes to be able to achieve that success level. Um, sometimes it takes a decade. I mean, look yeah. for example at uh, the Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. He was billion when he was 65 years old. Before mm-hmm. he was like an insurance agent, he lost his job and he bounced from one job to the other, not knowing exactly what he wanted to do until he started cooking. And then that's it, the magic begins. So again, people have, they just don't know, or maybe they're looking too much for instant gratification, Sandy. And this is, again, our society, as you mentioned, we have to change society. So how, how can we tell someone, you're going to work for 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to make nothing, but in 20 years, you'll be as rich as Richard Branson or Zuckerberg or, you know, whoever else. <laughs> well, as uh I forget who said this. It was somebody from The Secret. In the word attraction is the word action. Correct. And I think The Secret was just misconceived or perceived by people because it was really just an introduction to the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And and so many people just sat there and was like, "Mm, okay. Where is it? You know, <laughs> we're, we're not a genie in a bottle. We can't just no, like blink no. our eyes and have <laughs> things show up. You have to work for it. You have to take take action. There was a great podcast I listened to with Dr. Joe. Um, he was in The Secret. What was his name? Joe. Um, Martini. Uh, yeah, Joe. Yes. 
Okay. He, there was a podcast with Rob Moore and Dr. G, Dr. Joe Demartini, and they talk in depth about this. And it was it, it was such a great listen. I listened to it multiple times because it really honed in on the action part of it. You know, I can sit here and say I want to write a book, but unless I actually sit down and do it, the book is never going to materialize. You have to work in. And that's where people, they don't want to do the work. Yeah, they don't want to work for it. Miracles, And this is when miracle does not apply. Now, a miracle can only, as you said yourself, you've seen the situation where God spoke to you, or the universe spoke to you in the, when you were in the car and saw on your left-hand side, the beautiful woman on the right, the, the old woman. Um, at the same time, if they don't plant seeds, they don't work into in the ground to make sure that the plant is being fed with water, with sunshine, et cetera, things are not going to happen. So right. they really put the action and also the belief, because how can you put action if you don't believe in yourself? Right. So That's that right. Always negative repercussion if you don't apply that. Yeah. And, and going back to self-love, if you're not believing in yourself, there's some, some work you may need to do in that area as well. If you're not believing in yourself and, and we all go through that. I mean, yeah, I'm a happiness coach, but I have my moments too. I have, there's many times when I, I had a television interview yesterday morning, it was live. And I literally sat here and was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Who am I to go on live TV? Is it the imposter syndrome that you got? Uh, right. Of course, we all get it. I mean, there's times and I'm like, okay, stop. You know, I mean, we're not perfect. You know, we all, our mind goes there. And it's just, it's it's not about, you know, I'm not happy all the time. And I always want to want to stress that. I have my moments. I get angry. I get super irritated with my husband and my son <laughs> all the time. And it's okay because I'm it, that's normal. If I would, if I wasn't getting irritated with other people, there'd be something wrong with me because these are emotions. And and the thing about finding your happiness and choosing happiness is it's a it's a duality thing. I can be happy and still have periods where I'm irritated and upset with people. It's okay. You have to feel those range of emotions because if you don't, you're gonna end up in rehab like I did. <laughs> And if you, you got to deal with it, yeah, if you internalize <laughs> all your negative emotion, you're eventually going to explode and you're going to yeah. be like a postal on the people. So that's right. Exactly. That's something that you want to do. Um, so what would be the best piece of advice, um, Sandy, that you would tell to all of our listeners? Um, because, you know, they're all seeking somewhat some sense of happiness from within. Uh, they just don't know how to reach it, what they should look for. And sometimes uh, happiness is such a broad subject, a broad topic. It is. It's very hard to be able to compartmentalize every of your feelings or choices in life that will bring you to getting to being happy. So what would be your best recommendation to the listeners on where they should start at least and be consistent primarily? Yes, I would say the most important thing in order to find your happiness is forgiveness. And in my novel, there was a, a slogan in there, forgive for peace. So remember that, forgive for peace. Because let me just stress here real quickly, forgiveness is not about letting the other person off the hook, okay? You're not condoning what they did. You're freeing yourself 
of the misery that they've caused you. It's all about you. It has nothing to do with the other person because so often people are like, I refuse to give, forgive that person because they feel like if they forgive them, they're letting them off the hook. Forgiveness isn't about them. It's about you. And so that's the place to start because if you're feeling bitterness at all in any way, you will have a very hard time having any periods of time of being happy because every time that person or multiple people pops into your head, you're going to get irritated Mm -hmm. and you want to set yourself free of that. So I would say that would be the place to start, start listing out who do you need to forgive and just start working on it every day, every minute of every day, every hour, whatever you need to do, but make it consistent and, and write it out who, you know, I need to forgive this person for stealing my boyfriend you know, and you work on that and you repeat it. I forgive them and you work on it over and over and over so that eventually it will dissipate. It may come up again in a year and then you work on it again because it's, it's a, it's a practice. It's not something that will happen overnight. You don't just say you're going to forgive somebody and snap your fingers and and the, the feeling's gone. It's a place to start. Forgive for peace. Do you think that when you have to forgive, you also have to cut ties? Not necessarily. But then forgive, but never forget. But if you never forget, it's hard to be able to not hold grudge. I didn't say forgive and forget. Okay. It's, it's forgiveness. And, you, and I think it is possible. Here's the thing. I'm going to tread lightly around this subject. There is a couple of situations with my stepfather okay. in which he violated me. And... He's, he passed away. Um, he, there was, there was definitely, he crossed the line um, with, with disciplining me. And it was, it was something that I carried around for a very long time. He was given three months to live when I was pregnant with my son back in the year 2000. And um, I, it took a lot, but I forgave him and I looked at him and I said, I forgive you. And I didn't bring anything up. I just said, I want you to know that I forgive you because if you only have a couple months to live, I want you to know that I have forgiven you. He ended up living 16 more years. He died in 2016 and he didn't die of cancer. He had cancer four times. He beat it. Um, He died from probably repercussions from chemotherapy. We had the most incredible relationship the last 16 years. And here's the thing. What I looked at with him is I thought to myself, what must have happened to him when he was a child for him to be able to do this to me? That's a good point. Yes. And I I was able to find compassion for him. You know, my biological father died when I was 18 months old and he raised me since, since I was three. So he was my father for 47 years of my life. And, um, I was able to find compassion for him because I know that he didn't mean it. And I forgave him and we had an amazing relationship. My ex-husband was pretty mean to me, pretty mean to me. And you know what? He and I are like brother and sister right now. I have forgiven him. I talk to him all the time. We tell each other, love you, love you. You know, we're not in love with each other, but we love each other. We have a son together. We have an amazing relationship. I have forgiven him. And we ha- so it, it is possible. It is possible. And again, it's shifting that perspective. I want to have a good relationship with my ex-husband because we have a son together and I only have one child. You know, he was my miracle baby. So it's important. And 
And it, it, it is possible. It is possible. You can forgive the unforgiven. Do you think your positive word to your father-in-law or to your stepfather made him change also or probably elongated his life because he felt that he was not holding that grudge, not grudge, I would say, but that... Uh, the guilt? That guilt, yes. On the, yeah. On the side, so he was able um, to like, free himself from that. Possibly, possibly. I think he also just kind of lightened up. I think by having cancer and given that three months to live, he wasn't, he didn't, he used to get, let things really get to him. And he reached a point, he was like, every day, six feet above ground is a good day for me. And he really just shifted his perspective and he lived 16 years. Now he also was pre-diabetic and had to give up sugar. And I think that there has been some studies where cancer needs sugar to survive. And that could have been a big, we don't know, but he beat cancer four times. Wow. Um, but, but he had the most positive, he was such an amazing man. You know, yeah, he wasn't perfect. He was very flawed like everyone else and he made some mistakes and I forgave him. Wow, wow, wow. That's definitely something that to be proud of. And you know what? Maybe you are, you've been a part of his recovery. Just so that Maybe. In itself probably made you feel extremely uh, happy, that in itself. So on that note, that is all the time that we have for today's uh, podcast. And I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule, Cindy, to be able to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you have all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited to have the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season seven of the Happiness Journey podcast, filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Oprah Winfrey once said, you know you are on the road to success if you would do your job with passion and not be paid for it. Once you have mastered the skill, nothing else really matters. You will always figure out a way to reach success after you have gone through lots of failure and these failures didn't deter you from reaching your goals. The true definition of success is having to do the things you love doing the most in life without having to worry about its financial repercussion. Because even if you do not get the monetary compensation you deserve, at least you worked on the things you enjoy doing. It's a win-win no matter what. And the way that you look at it, money shouldn't be the primary conductor to happiness, as it is just a means to an end that serves its purpose. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.